Welcome to Time for the Soul. My name is Sharon Kugler and I'm the Yale University chaplain and today we have an extra special guest. I guess they all are that way because they're all friends (laughs) and happy to spend a little time in conversation. And today's guest is Joliana Yi and Joliana is the assistant dean in Yale College and director of the Asian American Cultural Center. And she is someone who I put down on my list right away when I wanted to have conversations about call and vocation and the sacred work, the notion of sacred work. Mm. And what I put after your name, Juliana, was a dream for our world. Mm. And I had that thought because your programming that you do through the Asian American Cultural Center and even the chance that we've worked on projects together, the opportunities we've had together, have all been rooted in a kind of hope. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to start out with just acknowledging that as an, a, a kind of experience I've had of you as a friend and as a colleague, but also I think of your work. And so if you wouldn't mind just opening us up with talking a little bit about what that might mean to you. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, Sharon. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. And it means so much to me to hear sort of what you've perceived from the work that I've done and I think that the notion of hope is very central to the work um, and more so critical hope, right? Not hope in a thing that is fleeting, but hope in something in a future that maybe we cannot, that we do not see right now, but that we need to collectively imagine um, in order to keep moving forward. Um, And I think that's where the dream is, um, is I don't necessarily see the full vision of the dream, but I know that there are certain critical components that need to be a part of that for in order for us to get there. For me in particular, faith, um, my faith tradition is really key, um, but also community, right? And, and ensuring that we're not discarding of people in order to get there, but that we are trying as much as possible to create as inclusive as possible of a movement um, that centers those who are most marginalized. Um, And I think that has kind of always been my North Star, Um, regardless of the title that I hold or the institution that I'm at. um, I think it's always really critical to build everything on a foundation of love. Um, And then from there, you know, ensure that like as many voices as possible are included. Um, and so I think that is that's it's been a dream to be able to do that here alongside so many others. Um, I think who are maybe grasping at different aspects of the dream um, and are just looking for others to be to be heard and seen by um, and and to dream together because I think oftentimes this world takes away the ability to dream of something better and instead, forces us to focus on the despair, which there is a lot of, um, and there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of darkness. Um, But, you know, I think I always go back to what MLK has said and in the Bible too, where like light always drives out dark. Mm -hmm. And so I try every day as as much as I can to remind myself and others (laughs) of the light. Mm-hmm. You, you know, something just occurred to me as I was listening to you, a thread that has run through these conversations mm-hmm. has been about love. Mm-hmm. And when I was listening to you and I was thinking, is there a person or people in your life 
who planted that for you because it's it's one thing to live your life as a loving person. Yeah. Most often people who can do that have experienced love in some way. Yeah. I mean, we know of people who sadly haven't, um, mm-hmm. and they find their way there and they name that. But mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, is is there a person that you can think of or or a people that um, planted that for you? Yeah. I mean, I think it is such a gift, right, to be able to experience that. And I think from, I would say, my childhood growing up, I'm the youngest of three, um, daughters and so it's like a full girl power household <laughs> and my dad um, being the only man in the house was always very empowering to all of us as women and girls and I think they were obviously my first manifestation of like embodied human love mm-hmm. yes it's not perfect mm-hmm. we all have our flaws we have arguments mm-hmm. we disagree on things but fundamentally I always felt like I could fall back on them um, for support. Even if they disagreed with whatever I was doing, I knew that they would show up for me um, in some shape or form. And I think having that security definitely, you know, allowed me to then extend that sense of love and security to other people who didn't necessarily have that in their lives. Um, And then, of course, on the spiritual aspect, I think, like, experiencing God's love Mm -hmm. has been really, really critical to shaping who I am. And I I would say I tangibly felt that at, like, 12 or 13 years old, Mm -hmm. um, where, like, it didn't just become a religious practice, but really became my faith um, and my belief and not something my parents made me do on a Sunday. Yeah, you found your 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 ankles, your strength. You <laughs> yeah. know, I think you know we have sort of weak knees and weak ankles when we're little ones, and we're not sure what to make of faith. And then there's this point, mm-hmm. if you're lucky, I think, <laughs> where you feel a strength in that and a rootedness on your own. Yeah. Tell me about the work that you do at Yale, because when I think about some of the programs that the AACC has done. You have such a wide variety of communities within the within the Asian world yep. that you are serving. And again, I go back to a dream for our world. Yeah. When you think about your reach and your touch and the call to do this work, what are you thinking? What is that kaleidoscope of color and perspective that really sort of is vibrant for you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Asian diaspora is so vast, and I think that the term sometimes, you know, makes us miss some of those layers and riches. And even as the director, actually today is my five-year work anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary. Um, yeah, so fun for us to spend it this way. But having done this for five years, I'm still learning so much about my own communities, right? And the students that we serve that kind of fall under that category has changed so much, even in the last five years here at Yale. Um, due to admissions and whatnot. And I think for me, what drives it is a understanding how impactful identity and specifically racial and our racialized identities have it's on our day-to-day lives, like the impact that it has on how we move through the world, how we're seen, whether we own that identity or not, definitely impacts how we experience life. Um, And I think, you know, given how global 
race and racism is, like, I felt a calling to really help people understand that this aspect of identity is not one that should impede, although it does, right? Like, in an ideal world, we would just kind of get rid of it because Mm -hmm. it is a social construct anyway. But it is a social construct that's so ingrained that we cannot get rid of it. So how do we then make it better or or have it exist in a way that's more equitable? And so for me, it's about creating spaces, A, for students and just people in general to learn and explore that for themselves because we don't always have those spaces depending on where in the world we grew up or where in the U.S. we grew up. Um, and so that they can, you know, not have to feel like it's something they should be afraid of or embarrassed or ashamed of because that's a lot of how we've been socialized is you need to kind of hide that part of you um, and blend in as much as possible to the mainstream, whatever that is. Um, and so for me, it's really creating that space and then allowing the student to then bring their lived experience into the mix so that it's not on the ACC to be so granular to every single, you know, so the ethnic um, population that exists under the Asian diaspora, because that's just impossible. Um, but for us, it's about co-creating, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we create a space that students that then can come and then take up space and ownership and feel a sense of belonging, right? I think that's that's really the core thing at the end of the day about our work. And then, f- then feel empowered to then go forth into the world with a better understanding of their racialized identities and the intersections of it um, and not feel like it's something that they have to hide, right? But really, it is their secret power. (laughs) Um, And I always, like, try to help students see it as, like, a source of power and not a source of shame. And I think if I've been able to do that for any of them in any interaction, then I've considered my work done. Um, and, you know, if they can go beyond the personal aspects of of understanding their identity and help empower others, even better, right? So mm-hmm. then we're creating a ripple effect. But if it's just helping one student at a time, that's fine, too. So, you know, I think it's, yeah, I think um, because of how insidious racism is and how it's utilized to oppress so many people system systematically but also individually I want students to be able to see past that so they don't blame themselves for things that do or do not happen in their lives um, and to then also be able to critically think and challenge the systemic pieces while also navigating the individual experiences of racism mm. it's complex yes <laughs> and it it is something that you know, as you so beautifully put it, it's not, there is no one template, there's no one approach Mm -hmm. to it, but Mm -hmm. giving them a sense of their own giftedness is something I really see you do, you know, and that that's, there's a myriad of ways that that plays out. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that you are sitting in the studio expecting uh, a child uh, later this spring. And so I want to end with your hope for this young one, this little one, as you think about that, um, you know, again, going back to your dream for the world, what's your dream for your soon-to-be-born child? Yeah, what an honor to be able (laughs) to bring my unborn little one into this space with you. 
Um, I will definitely replay this episode <laughs> when they are born one day and can mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying. Uh, so this is a, a treasure opportunity. But I think, you know, as I'm thinking, yeah, about the world that I want to build for my child, um, I, my dream for her, I'm having a baby girl, mm-hmm. um, is really to be a kind person. You know, and I think that might sound really basic, but in a world that is constantly asking you to sort of prioritize your own um, ambition at the cost of anything and anyone else, I think fundamentally I want them to be a kind person, to love God, and to love people because what are we without one another? And what is this world without our community? And so I think my dream continues to be, right, like how can we sustain community in a healthy and holistic and inclusive way. What a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much for being our guest on Time for the Soul. And may God bless you and your daughter. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sharon. (laughs) Bye-bye. Time for the Soul is produced by Ryan McAvoy, created by Sharon Kugler, Maytal Satiel, and Sean Mignon. Our music is by J.P. Durvin. This has been a production of the Yale Broadcast Studio.